0: this is the ghost light the weekly interview podcast that shines the spotlight on theater professionals that don't see it as often as the stars at 21 i was a young performance artist and around i'd run with art school dudes and we
1: would spend our day
0: Thank you for joining me on the 15th episode of The Ghost Light. If this is your first time listening, this is a theater interview podcast that seeks to interview theater professionals of all types. I'm not just focusing on actors that have made it. I'm not just focusing on scenic designers or lighting designers. I'm really trying to get the breadth of the theater. I'm trying to Tap to the heart of the theater people that are trying to make it their career I hope that I've been successful in bringing you some interesting and exciting interviews so far and I have some things in the pipeline that I'm also very excited about but I would really appreciate if you would tell somebody about the show this week and if you have been listening Consider subscribing or leaving an Apple podcast review or leaving a review on whatever service you use. Those types of things really help out the show. If you want to find me on social media, you can find me at TGLpod on Twitter and Facebook. I'm also trying to grow those communities as well so I can meet more people and schedule more interviews. And in line with that, if you know somebody that might be interesting fit for the show... Go ahead and reach out to me on one of those avenues and I will contact them myself. In this episode of The Ghost Light, I sit down with Donald Jordan, who is the artistic director of the Oklahoma City Rep, also known as the City Rep. Donald has had a long, prosperous career in the theater and he has taken jobs of all types and all of those jobs have informed what he does as an artistic director. It's very clear that Donald has a love of the theater that has not diminished at all over his time being in the theater. He's very well-spoken and has a lot of advice for younger theater professionals, so I think this will be a very informative talk. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of The Ghost Light. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Today, I'm joined by Donald Jordan. Donald is the founding artistic director at City Rep or OKC Rep Theater. He's held jobs as an actor, a director, stage manager, scene and prof designer, among many other things. He's recognized for his commitment to children's theater and youth theater of all types. And he was also recognized as a distinguished alumni of OKC University, which is where he got his B.A. in theater. How are you doing, Donald?
1: I'm doing very well. How are you this evening, Matt?
0: I am doing very well as well. I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: I'm glad to be there. We we share a friend in common in that theater world way.
0: Yeah, we do.
1: Harry Parker, right? That's correct. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Harry uh, is an Oklahoma City native himself. Yeah. He and I first met there many, many, many thousands, perhaps millions of years ago when we were young men together in Oklahoma City.
0: Yeah, well, I don't even think he's that old. That's pretty long ago.
1: <laughs> well, I might, have, I might have been slightly exaggerating by a century or yeah, two. Yeah, know.
0: a century or two, that's right. <laughs> All right, Donald, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of talking about how you got into the theater and where you're at today, that would be great.
1: Well, uh, how I got into the <laughs> the theater was entirely by accident. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I played on the basketball team in high school, and I injured my ankle and was watching my teammates practice because my goal in life was to get a basketball scholarship to college, and then I thought I'd be a coach.
2: Mm.
1: And uh, wh- while I was watching the fellows practice because I couldn't play, a-, a friend of mine asked me if I would come down and audition for uh, the new theater group they were starting at the high school I went to in Atlanta, Georgia. And I I went down and sat in the back. She said, you know, you don't really have to audition. We just need enough people to show up because they they brought in a director from New York and they had funding, but there had to be enough interest. Mm -hmm. And so I said, sure, Teresa, I'll come do that. And so I I walked down there and I sat in the back of the room the first day. And then the next day I walked in and sat in the back of the room. And uh, that director who they brought in was a man named Gregory Poulos. Mm -hmm. And he looked back there at me and said, hey, you come up here and read this. (laughs) Um, So I got up on stage and I read and it was from Spoon River Anthology. He cast me in the play. And that was 1974. And I'm still doing theater. So Great, great. The basketball thing never worked out, although the NBA might be calling me anytime. (laughs) To coach or play? Well, either one at this point, you know, they they all make better money than we do in the theater. So it would would be great either way.
0: Most definitely. (laughs) So a lot of people that I've spoken with, and I know this is the story for me as well, started out in sports and transitioned to theater for one reason or another. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, in in my case, uh, it really, uh, I mean, I I loved basketball and I had a great passion for it. But when I stepped on the stage, I, I just felt at home. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with it from that first play. I was immediately in love with it and, and I just thought, wow, it it was a thing. It felt like that click, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you've got a kink in your back and you suddenly (laughs) pop it and everything feels like it's right in place. It it was that thing where I, I just felt like I could really do this. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. It was, it was just a terrific, I felt home from the first day I walked in. Yeah. That sounds like such a cliche answer, but it's really true. Well,
0: I mean, cliches
1: are cliches for a reason, right? Well, that's a good point. It's true. (laughs) It just, it really, and you know, I have to tell you, my, my passion for the theater remains unabated from that day to this. Mm -hmm. I, I still, I just, I just this afternoon came today. I have a day off. Uh, at our theater and and so i just came from stage west in fort worth texas i drove okay. there to see the new play they're doing yeah so and and it's you know my favorite thing to do when i'm not working on the theater is to go to the theater and watch other people in the theater uh, dazzle and entertain and enlighten me i love that i still love the theater as much today as i loved it then
0: well that's really great to hear and that's also evident because you've held so many jobs in the theater. So you said you started in acting, but what kind of led to you doing pretty much everything?
1: Well, you know, there's another, there's another sports theme in, <laughs> in this answer. Uh, in the basketball, uh, we, we used to call it if you were a gym rat, if you were the guy who just loved to come early and stay late and play an extra game. Mm-hmm. And I was always kind of a gym rat. Well, I'm i I'm a theater gym rat. I always want to be around the theater. When I, when I was a young person, I just, just wanted to be there. So if 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 I wasn't a play that I had a role in, or if I didn't get cast, I was happy to do something else. I wanted to go to the theater every day, and I I still really do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's really the long and the short of it was I I would I was interested in in trying anything to get to go to the theater to be just that line from Course Line, you know, give me give me a thing to hold on to. Mm-hmm. I I love that idea. Give me a place to be. Get, I want to have a reason to go to the theater. I want to have a show to work on. And mm-hmm. the more I did that, the more I found uh, all of the aspects of theater were interesting. I mean, some jobs I'm better at, some I'm, I, I'm not a costumer of any stripe. Mm-hmm. But uh, 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 everything that I did was interesting to me. And as I did it, I was aware that it was expanding my vision as a theater artist. Mm-hmm. So that they, there really just came to a point by the time I was in my 30s, I'd been out of graduate school and been to New York and done, you know, Broadway tours and something like that. But I realized at that point, I have really become a theater artist. Mm-hmm. It's the whole of the theater that I serve, whether I'm acting or directing or whether I design the sets or whether I'm working on the props. And of course, <laughs> in, the, in the full embodiment of the Peter principle, if you're a jackass of all trades and a master of none, they finally make you run the joint. And that's how you become <laughs> an artistic director, in 30 yeah. words or less. Okay. So.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for that um, overview. And you said that you were <laughs> inherently better at some things than others. So what was your most favorite job in the theater and what was maybe your least favorite thing to do that you've tried?
1: Uh, well, I've, I've enjoyed most of it. A good deal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That I would say the least satisfying thing I did was I I I, I had a period in my thirties and forties where I did a good deal of corporate theater.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very lucrative, you know. You're doing you're building sets for uh, oh, it's your, it, I, I worked on projects for where the president was there, and the president of the Philippines, or or a corporate. Launch parties where you'd you'd build a whole set, you'd install it in a in a ballroom or, or a, a you know, a film sets or TV commercials, all of that kind of thing. It it's all the same craft of theater, but craft of theater is half of of the delicious theater. The other half is the art mm-hmm. that the that is the icing. So the craft was somewhat less rewarding, and in every way except fiscally. Mm-hmm. So. There, there there was a time where, you know, you kind of, you grow through that and then you, you kind of pass out of it and you think, okay, I just, I don't really want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So and it's a, it, it was a choice, much like a, many people, you know, find that they're, they have a particular knack for uh, television commercials, but you know, none of us fell in love with the great power of the art of theater to be the tidy bowl man. <laughs> it's a place that you kind of end up in the reality of life where you're trying to make sure you pay your rent and you can eat yeah well i I chose to sell my my other theater skills in design and installation and things like that uh to, to corporately for and and the you know the thing with that is that those jobs they always understood when they were hiring me I was a freelancer and that they were getting a theater artist, so I was always allowed to to maintain my life in the theater and basically have a nice second job mm-hmm. but I would say all in all that was the least fulfilling. Okay. Many of the people you work with aren't theater people. And, and God bless them, they're the most interesting people in the world. I love theater people.
0: <laughs> most so. definitely. I agree. So you're <laughs> an artistic director now, as I mentioned before, for City Rep in OKC. So for a long time, I, I was never really sure what an artistic director did. I think it's kind of a mysterious thing for younger theater professionals. So can you lay out for me what entails what an artistic director does?
1: Yes, now as we're building any team, some of the specifics would be different in each individual theater culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think of it I, I'm the executive for our organization that is i it's not a two-tiered organization. Uh, most theaters either have a, a singular leader or they have a two-tier structure where there's an artistic director and a managing mm-hmm. director I, I, Our, our theater is built along the lines that I I'm the last stop. Mm -hmm. That is, the buck stops here. So in a nutshell, I'm responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. If the prop isn't right, if the actor turned out not to be well cast, if the email has a typo, in the end, someone must take responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's that's part of of servant leadership to the art and and to the organization. So in a nutshell, I'm the final backstop.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It the job is satisfying creatively because it's a little bit like being a theater editor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't have to direct every play, but I can can have my hand in to direct or or to oversee the direction. I don't have to design every set, but I sit in design meetings and I can help nurture and grow and suggest things to young designers. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have to act in every play, but I, I you know I attend. Uh, a great many of our rehearsals to oversee the product. Mm-hmm. So so all of that is, is fulfilling. That's interesting to me. You know, I get to be a part of several different collaborative processes. If you have a play that's particularly uh, challenging or interesting to prop, I, I will work with our prop designer and help them, you know, well, this is from this period or that. Because now, I after 40 plus years of professional theater, I I, I have a catalog of experience and I feel like mentors gave that to me and now I'm giving that on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And that, that is actually very rewarding when you work with young people and you see how talented and how dedicated and how smart they are. And you think, yeah, the theater is going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that that's sort of, in the end, the buck stops here. Yeah. That would be the best job description ever. So.
0: <laughs> is is that a stressful job being the last person to kind of approve of everything or is that kind of a lax position for you as opposed to things you've done in the past?
1: Uh well, I it it it, it it's uh it's a position of a lot of responsibility. I think it could be stressful if you didn't love the theater. I don't usually think of it as stressful. Uh, the single most stressful element uh in professional non regional theater is funding and that's that's pretty much true if you're the largest regional theater i mean you know you okay the problems are all the same in my experience i've, I've worked in 48 out of 50 states i've worked all across canada i spent almost a decade in new york so uh, there are some fundamental differences between the for-profit multi-billion broadway business and the non-profit regional theater but generally speaking we all have the same problems with more or less zeros. That 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 really really theater is theater theater. Yeah. So I, I have a problem because I just need ten thousand dollars more to make this really challenging set work. And Eugene Lee, who I I worked with when I was here, has that problem because on Broadway he just needs five million more dollars to tear out the theater and put in the thing he wants to make his set work. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same problem. Yeah, just yeah.
0: some extra zeros and decimals.
1: Exactly. <laughs> right.
0: So, how does your history as a jack of all trades, like you said, inform your work as an AD?
1: Well, i I don't know of any formalized program. There, are, there are more. Uh, I have an MFA in theater from a from professional training program at Trinity University, uh, but it really had an emphasis on acting and directing. Now there are starting to be programs in theater management, which kind of covers that half, nonprofit management and theater management, because the nonprofit sector of our economy in the last 30 years has have quadrupled in size. It's now a very significant part of American uh, gross domestic product. It's about 15% of our economy in America it funnels through nonprofits. And we do a great many uh, social services that are, are governmental in other societies. And here, we don't do it that way. We we do it because it's a nonprofit. You know, sometimes it's very challenging and maybe not wise, but that that's what we have. We've got to work with it. So, but they are only just now coming to be programs where you might formally be instructed in how to become an artistic director. Really, in my time, in my career, that... You learned it because you learned a little bit of everything and different artistic directors do different things well. There aren't as many of them that I've worked with that also do set design. Uh, some of them do. There are some of them that do costume design, which I do not. There's some of them that like to direct more often than I direct. There's some of them that don't act at all, but I still act occasionally, like directing occasionally. So it, it, the whole point is, you want to bring whatever skills you have to bear in service of your art and your theater. So if this is a thing you can do, then you want you want to do it and contribute it. And it's a very pragmatic thing. I I think perhaps I thought as a as a young actor wouldn't it be great to to run a theater and, and you know and pick the shows you want to do and do them and that kind of thing. And that's actually not the way it works at all. You're, you're really dedicated to picking the, the shows that will serve your community and that you can do well and that address the realities. It's a very complex thing. You know, Will that play fit in my space? Does that play fit with the other plays of the year? Does that play fit with the talent that we have available? Does that play address the situation that's going on in our community right now? Is that play a particularly worthy, new artistic play? That you know, say one seven Tonys last year or that kind of thing. There, there are a myriad of reasons that you might pick plays and and then try and put them together. And they really have almost nothing to do with the fact that it's a personal favorite or or one that you personally dislike. It really you have to have a larger vision and a larger sense of service than that.
0: Yeah, that actually leads in nicely to my next question, which was: It sounds like you know the the way that you pick shows there's a methodology methodology to the way that you choose them. And you're being torn in a couple of different directions, you know, how you want to service your community versus what you can actually do in your space versus doing new works or old works. So what kind of work are you hoping to showcase at city rep or what have you done? Or what are you looking forward to? Well,
1: well, wh- my my first rule, and I think actually this may be an unwritten, but this is really the first rule for all of us in all professional theater, is you must do good work. You can be a Shakespeare company, but you must. What we all owe each other is to do it well. You can be Second City and and just do that that kind of comedy like they do. You can do Steppenwolf and do what they do in Chicago. You can do Goodman, with much more focus on the classics. Like they do in Chicago, you know, there's a place you can do, you can be Chicago Shakespeare. Now, every one of those places I just mentioned has all, they each want a Tony for outstanding regional theater. And they have very different profiles. But what they have in common is that they each do outstanding work. So the first rule is to do good work. That's, that's the first thing. When, when you look at it, you know, you have to think, is it possible that we can do this well? Is it beyond us financially? Will it simply not fit in our physical space? can we not draw an audience for it in our community? You know, uh, a production of Oklahoma is very popular in a state where I live, even though it's, uh, you know, kind of a classic for a war horse, but you know, gee, Oklahoma is pretty popular in Oklahoma. So, so then you might think that factors into whether, whether you could sell that as opposed to say of the I Sing, another great classic and only 10 years older, but, one that would be much harder to sell in Oklahoma. So as you're picking among titles, you do that. The second rule that's very important to me is that I want everyone to feel welcome in the theater. The theater is is democratic to me. It is a place where we all come together, where we bond, we share stories. It's, it's as old as sitting around the campfire and as modern as coming into our theater and sharing the story, it, it provides understanding and growth. So I like to pick a very eclectic season. You know, the season that we have this year, we're going to open in a couple of weeks with A Closer Walk with Patsy Klein. Very mainstream, small musical, but it's the first time it's been done in the state of Oklahoma, so it's fresh. After that, we have Hal Holbrook coming in to do his Mark Twain Tonight. You know, that's a legendary piece of American theater, and that's a, the, the Tony Award winning role. With the actor playing the role he won the Tony for, uh, then after that we're going to do the regional premiere of the of Heisenberg, which was just on Broadway this last year, and uh, then after that we're going to do the Oklahoma premiere of Tick Tick Boom. So that's a that's a widely eclectic season. You know, there's a lot a lot of room between two musicals like Patsy Klein and Tick Tick Boom. So, and a lot of room between Mark Twain, which has now been done for almost sixty years, and Heisenberg, which was on Broadway six months ago. So what I try to do is have something for everybody in a season. And if I can't hit everybody in a season, I try to hit them as often as I can. But I I want people to come and see stories that that might be unexpected to them, that they they might not have come. But over the, the years of our existence, they've come to build a relationship with the theater. And they think, I may not have heard of it, but it's always good. It's always interesting. It'll be worth my time. And that goes back to that first rule. What we all owe each other is we must never be lazy about not doing great work because there, there's too much else people can do. You can go watch a great movie for a dollar at the cinema. You can watch you know, 200 channels at home on TV, on cable. You can order anything down you want online on your computer. Well, if we don't make the theater the magical and transformative experience that it can and always should be... Then we're not doing our service our job to the theater or to each other 70 <laughs> percent of the theater buying ticket buying public it, it, most of the tickets are, are bought by women 72 percent now so that means for the most part they're dragging a date with them well if you do a great job and he has a great time then next year she can drag him twice not once however If you do a terrible job and he sits through it the next year he'll say honey i'll stick a fork in my eye before i'll do that let me let's do anything else so so we all owe each other sustained excellence because that will be the only way the theater will survive and continue to thrive
0: most definitely so another aspect of your career that i would like to dive deeper into is your investment into youth theater and you kind of mentioned it before but what specifically draws you to young theater? What are you hoping to do with young people?
1: Uh, well, that's a, that's a very personal issue with me. The, those were the people who encouraged me. My senior year of high school, the Alliance Theater in Atlanta had an intern program. And I don't know, three, 4,000 kids tried to get out. They took six of us. And we got to work full time at an equity theater That that was my senior year of high school. I went to classes for the first month, then I just went to the theater. After that, that's that's right. Yes, I got. I mean, for I was on stage with people that that had come from Broadway. Uh, Many of them went on and had successful television careers. There I was at a major equity theater. You know, there's a now that's another Tony Award-winning regional theater. They did excellent work. I worked in their children's theater program. there. We got, we took classes where we understood the basics, you know, we had to design shows theoretically and do script analysis. And we were performing in the show that we were doing every day. And after we did it for, I think, eight or nine weeks in, in Atlanta, then we toured it all over the state of Georgia. And you learned a little bit about touring and being on the road. Well, it was, it was a great experience for me. And then along the way, some, some other mentors helped me, uh, I had to work my way through college. I was the first myself, my older brother, first people in our family to go to college and get a college degree, get a master's degree, and and I had I had teachers and mentors along the way who helped make that possible for me, who helped me find jobs while I was working my way through school, and so I've always believed in giving that back. Somebody gave it to me, and I've I've had this wonderful magical crazy life in the theater. It was a thing I dreamed I could do and I got to do it. And I I, I just believe in trying to give that back to somebody else.
0: Yeah. So, so what specifically are you doing for the youth? Do you have a similar sort of program that goes through City Rep?
1: Yes. What we do at City Rep is uh, I try to do co-productions. In Oklahoma City, there are actually three uh, in the greater Oklahoma City area. Uh, there are three first-class training programs that all have put kids on Broadway. There's the University of Central Oklahoma, and then there's Oklahoma University of Oklahoma, and then there is the, my old alma mater, Oklahoma City University. Now, all all three of them have kids on Broadway now and on tour now, and of course, Oklahoma City University, its nickname is Tony University. Uh, my friend, Christy Chenoweth, she went to school there. Kelly O'Hara went to school there. I went to school with Ron Raines, who was nominated a couple years ago for Follies. I went to school with Lara Teeter. Lara and Ron and I were all still in touch. I mean, it, it's been a tremendous program for half a century. And and we do co-productions with each of those schools, which is another, harkening back to an early topic, that's another complication in the season, trying to figure out how to do a co-production with the school that fits what they need to do at and fits in their calendar schedule and has some age appropriate roles for young people in a professional context, you know, on campus, you can play Willie Loma when you're 20 at at my theater. You can only play what you can play as a professional because we're delivering a different kind of a product. So, um, so we do those co-productions and we've done, I don't know, 15 or 20 of them in the existence of the theater. I try to do one every year. If I can, I can't always, but we've done several with those three schools. We've done along with the Oklahoma City Community College, which is the two-year college. And in addition, I go every year and speak at no cost. I do master classes at the different universities when when they ask me to come to fit in their schedule. So again, I'm 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 trying to at least pay back a little bit of the interest on on a lot of wonderful kindness that was given to me when I was a young actor. Yeah. If more people paid it for yes.
0: it, it would and be a much better And time goes by world. very quick.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, you were that young actor, and then all of a sudden, you, 15 minutes later, you stop for lunch, and you're the guy running the theater, <laughs> and you realize, oh, I'm now a dinosaur with one foot in the oil <laughs> pool. Okay, yeah. it's time for me to make sure that whatever mistakes I've made or whatever I learned, I pass it on right now <laughs> yeah. while I can. Most so. definitely.
0: So this is a kind of a broad question, but um, say there's somebody in high school that's listening right now, they're kind of dabbling in the theater. What just general advice would you give them about their career moving forward?
1: Well, the first question I would be is, uh, you, you, do you really want to do this for a career? There's a difference between the theater, which is the most wonderful thing, You know, Thornton Wilder said, I regard the theater as the greatest of all art forms, the most immediate way a human being can share with another a sense of what it is to be a human being. And that's really true. However, the theater is not the same thing as show business. Show business and the theater are like the world's longest running, terrible marriage, but you can't have one without the other if you're going to have a career in the theater and show business. So, so one of the things that I talk about in the master classes with young people is that you know to make it to the major leagues to be considered a professional you have to have membership in Actors Equity. Well, there are 330 million people in America and there are 50,000 members of Actors Equity. So there there's an idea of some odds. But now let's look at that closer. Of that 50,000, you know half of them aren't you. You're, you you. You're a man, they're women, that kind of so divide it in half to 25,000. But of that 25,000, half of them aren't you because you're a character actor and they're a leading man or you're a leading man and they're character actors. So divide that to 12,500. And statistics show us in Actors' Equity every year, this is my 33rd year as a member, um, 90% of the union, a little more than that, is unemployed at any given time. So of that 12,000 people that you're now a potential group of, there are only possibly 2,500 jobs that you're looking for right now. So the real question is, how hard are you willing to work to go from being one of 330 million people to one of those 2,500 people who might be working? You know, And then I try to, in the context of, of master classes, I try to talk about, are, are you willing to prepare for every audition like you already have the job? Are you willing to memorize the whole role? Are you willing to study who the director is? see who you know in common, do research. And, you know, somewhere along the line, people say, well, no, that's too much work. And I'll say, well, here's the thing. The person who will get that job is willing to do that. Congratulations, you failed. If you're the third best doctor out of 1,000 doctors in your specialty, you're making a good living. And if you're the third best actor out of 1,000 who auditioned for me, well, I hired the first one, and the second one I hired as the understudy, and the third one, congratulations, you're unemployed. So the odds are very unforgiving, and that's show business, not not the theater. If you truly love the theater, but you want more security or more stability in your life, then please, by all means, buy season tickets, enjoy doing community theater, serve on a board, help keep the American theater alive and vital, but, but don't do that. You will not be happy, and you will not succeed. If you're if you're clock watching, if you're adding up how many out how much you're making per hour, if you're this you know if you're doing all of those things and you're thinking of it like a job, the, the theater is not Starbucks. And if you think of it that way, one you will fail, and two you will never be happy.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a rough but very vital message because I think a lot of people have a very rosy um, outlook in the theater, but it's not always that way. So it's good to hear that from time to time.
1: Yes, and I will say, and and now here this is this is a a veteran business perspective. They won't always tell you that when you go to a college. People, the college is in the business of taking your money to give you a degree. They don't want to discourage you before you get the degree. Then they want to push you out the door and find someone else to sell a degree to. I'm not discounting the college. I think education is very important. I think you have to have training to have, have a career. The actor who has no training still has a career. You know, the kind of savant talent that's That's sort of like winning the lottery or being struck by lightning three times for walking down the same street. It just doesn't happen very often at all but but the thing to remember is that someone like me might really tell you the unvarnished truth about a lifetime of show business because I'm not trying to sell you thirty thousand dollars worth of tuition for the next four years. I'm just here to tell you this is how it works, and I think that's that's actually one reason why we the enlightened teachers from those excellent training programs that I mentioned asked me to come and speak because I can say some things that perhaps they can't even say without getting heat from, you know, some over excitable Dean somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I don't mean to be picking on over excitable Dean's all of whom are anonymous, but you know, that's, those people have spent a lifetime in the education business. And, and the administration of college business, but not in the business of professional theater. So what they'll tell you and what the reality is can sometimes be two different things.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a very sobering message, and I do appreciate you saying that. So I have one last question for you, uh, another kind of broad one, but if you could do any show, a dream show at uh, City Rep, what would it be?
1: Well, my first answer to the question is the next one. Whatever's next. Right now, my dream show in the whole world is A Closer Walk with Patsy Klein because it opens on the 14th. And my dream show after that is Hal Holbrook. And my dream show after that is Heisenberg. And my dream show after that is Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, I've always loved You Can't Take It With You. It was one of the plays that I, I wrote my my thesis about. I, I think it's a great American comedy. And I've never had a chance to do it, at, to stage it at our theater or to, to be in it in an actor or design it. And you know, the those comedies in the thirties, actors were cheap and scenery was expensive. So that's a one interior set with a cast of nineteen. And now of course the actors are what cost you all the money. So I keep trying to figure out a way for us to be able to afford you can't take it with you. <laughs>
0: so every year <laughs> yeah. it's on my dream. Big, show, list. big expensive show.
1: Yes, right. Right. Uh, so that's a show that, that that I've never gotten to do that I do. Uh, a show that I would always revisit, I've been fortunate in my career to be in three different productions of it. Uh, I think Our Town is is the finest American play yet written. It is both both quietly homespun and charming in its specificity of a small town and in a certain time and place, and incredibly universal. And theatrically, Thornton Wilder was so far ahead of his time in imagining that play and turning convention on its head in the 1930s, everything about it is brilliant. So I, I I could do that play again and again and again, because every time I come back to it, having lived more of life, I understand more of the whole life cycle that he captured in that play. You you see each of those acts very differently, you know, when you're 20 and when you're 40 and when you're 60. So that's a, that's a great play. But actually, the the truth is, uh As we started with, and this is a nice closing point, my passion for the theater is undimmed. Uh, this, I can now talk to you for about the next eight hours just about plays that are still on my dream list to do. One of the frank thoughts that I try to remind myself in my time as an artistic director now is that you know, if I am fortunate, if if my health continues to be good and I am able to work at the because it is a very demanding job the average length of tenure for a tcg professional artistic director is about seven seasons because it's it really is a a, a very challenging and and you know it's an 80 hour a week job on the slow weeks well i I've, I've already been running this theater for 16 years so uh, if if i can do another 10 or or, or 12 years or so i i will have come to my 70s and it's probably more than past time for for me to hand it off to a younger generation to do but that reminds me that that time is very finite. You think if you do five or six shows a year and you actually think you have 10 years left, well, that doesn't mean you have the thousand plays that I've already done in my life. That means I have 60 bullets left. I want to make sure I get 60 good shots off. I want to do 60 plays to change the world and spread love and understanding and help increase people's vision and push society forward and move people to think and laugh and cry. So... So I've become very aware that each show is a precious opportunity.
0: Well, that is a great way to look at it, Donald. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It was very captivating and inspiring to me. So I'm sure it was for
1: the people listening as well. well. Thank you, Matt. It was really nice to spend some time with you. I appreciate the work and I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, but until next time, thank you. You bet. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Ghost Light. It really does mean a lot to me. As I mentioned before, please reach out to me at TGLpod on Twitter and Facebook if you know somebody who might be a good fit for the show. Give me their contact information and I will reach out to them personally. If you like the music that you've heard today, you can find Fishboy on Bandcamp or in the show notes. They wrote the intro song. And you can also find Komiku on Bandcamp as well, and I will also put them in the show notes. Next week, my friend Taylor Quick comes on the show. She's a musical theater performer living in NYC. She also went to TCU with me. Most recently, she was Millie in Thoroughly Modern Millie at Goodspeed Theater in Connecticut. I talked to her about her quick success in the city and any tips she might have for people that are coming in hoping to strike it big like she did. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time at the Ghost Light.